0: Welcome back to the 78th episode of the Daily Flip Podcast. I'm your host, Alex, and today we're going to be flipping through some of the top stories. They're mostly related to crime and the different perspectives that we have here in America. One story coming from the right, one story coming from the left, and trying to understand both sides. And then our last story, before our Daily Delight, is talking about a new revelation about black holes and how they may be a little bit different than we first speculated. And like I just mentioned, of course, our final story will be The Daily Delight, a story meant to leave you feeling positive and ready to take on the day. Now, that's enough rambling from me. Let's jump into our daily debate. So the divide on the issue of crime has been one that has increasingly pushed people to one side or another, especially over the last few years. There are those who want a harsh, remorseless cr- criminal justice system, while there are others who want to empathetic and want to ease penalties in the criminal justice system. But at the root of both of these arguments, in my belief, is the idea that these type of policies will actually help society at large. That at the end of the day, taking one of these routes will actually help America. And with this in mind, I want you to consider this question. Is there a way to come together on this issue? Is the fact that we are pursuing what we believe will make America better, even if we're going about it in very different ways, does that connection, that base understanding that we want America to be better, is that enough to bring us together? And for some people, they may argue that we don't have that middle connection anymore, that American identity, that we do want America to get better. But I don't think that's true. I think at the end of the day, a lot of people do want this country to get better. We just have very different views on how we're going to get there. And with that in mind, like I said, is there a way for us to come together on the other side of all of this? Throw your opinions down in the comments section. I'd love to hear what you have to say. I'll probably respond if there are any comments down there. All right. Our first article comes from The Daily Signal. The LA Times asks, What's the matter with Portland? Answer, leftist ideology. So the author starts by discussing what the LA Times article actually says, and I'll just read you a quote here. Quote, The piece was enlightening in the sense that it did capture the mentality that has led to the city's awesome dysfunction. It highlights how despite that dysfunction, rising crime, rampant open-air drug use, in many other signs of urban decay, many of the city's residents are simply unwilling to acknowledge how ideology and bad policy have turned the Oregon city that should be quite pleasant to reform into a shell of its former self. End quote. So Portland has definitely been home to some of the worst riots, especially during the Summer of Love. If those of you who... We're watching the news during 2019 with the George Floyd riots that r- erupted across the entire nation, or if you want to call them the George Floyd protests. Many of these protests that were held in Oregon turned into violent riots. They were breaking different properties of businesses, of the breaking into the federal government, or I say federal government, government land, whether that be state or federal, setting fires to cars and things of this nature. So if you remember, Portland was home to a lot of these big riots, especially one that was held in the lobby of the governor at the time. And what is extremely interesting here is when we take a step back and we really look at what happened after the riots, after these massive, massive criminal events that or most people would probably call them criminal events some people would be blinded by their ideology and wouldn't be able to acknowledge that these were not peaceful protests instead of increasing policing they actually lowered policing they defunded the police even more so the question then becomes well okay you protested about the corruption of police officers and you got your city to defund the police good for you seriously, if that's what they wanted, they got it, and good for them. That is them using their right to protest. And I don't agree with the rioting, but still, they used their right to protest in order to enact change in their city. But then the question from there becomes, what has come of it? What has come of this defund the police movement? And we actually have a quote from a lady who lives in Portland. Quote, we feel abandoned, Gonzalez said. But we pay our taxes and the police are not watching over our security. Why aren't the police watching out for her security? Well, in the wake of the George Floyd protests of 2020, the Portland City Council defunded the police department. The besieged and likely demoralized police department now struggles to find qualified employees to meet its staffing requirements. It seems that the problem could be fixed by refunding the police, restoring the confidence. "...of the quality officers who serve, and by aggressively policing and prosecuting behaviors that have turned parts of the city into dangerous hotbeds of violence and criminality." End quote. And of course, you can tell where the author's coming from here, and you can kind of feel out their bias a little bit, which is they are drastically opposed to defund the police in any sense of the word, or any sense of the phrase. They are obviously very hostile towards this. And my personal view is, if you want that in your jurisdiction, if you want to defund the police, go right ahead and see what happens. I do not want that in my jurisdiction. I want there to be police officers who are held accountable. I don't want corruptions. I don't want the unions keeping bad police officers around. But I do not think that just blanket defunding them is the actual solution. If you want to take a little bit of funding away as kind of a retribution to terrible, corrupt actions that they've done, that makes sense. But taking away the funding just because they are police officers and police officers in another city did something terrible, that doesn't make any sense, in my opinion. So then, once again, we have to ask another follow-up question. So we've talked about how the people that were rioting got what they wanted. They defunded the police. Now we saw a little bit of mention about how they feel abandoned, and the author is telling us about how terrible the city has become. And I would argue that this policy has really not worked in their favor. Ms. Gonzalez talks about in the, another part of the article, needles in her front yard, bags of feces, gunshots going off in the backyard while her kid is at the house. So all of these things are anecdotal, and they seem to suggest one thing, but are there any stats that can actually back up these claims? And then, of course, as I'm thinking that, the author comes in with, quote, according to Portland KGWTV, quote, every 42 minutes there's a report of vandalism in Portland, often involving broken windows. There were more reports of broken windows last year than even during the year of riots in 2020. In 2022, there were 12,000 238 reports of vandalism citywide, including broken windows. According to data from a Portland Police Bureau, the agency doesn't separate broken windows and other types of vandalism. Last year's numbers were up 27% from 9,660 vandalism cases in 2021. And from 2020, there were 8,322 cases and 6,289 in 2019. Almost all of those have been arrested for these crimes that are repeat offenders. But most often, the perpetrators aren't arrested. When they are, they are soon ending up back on the streets. That seems like a winning formula. And yes, end quote, yes. The author is trying to be a little snarky there. No, it seems like a winning formula. So it is... It's sad to see the author speaking here and kind of giving up and being so snarky about Portland and kind of raising their nose like, oh, well, of course your policies didn't work. At the end of the day, what did you expect? And not feeling bad for them, but rather ridiculing them. And it's turned into a talking point. Oh, look at what's happening in Portland. See, this is what happens when you defund the police. And while I said earlier, they should have the ability to defund the police if they want to. They should have that choice. It is a democratic republic, of course. But we shouldn't be laughing in their face when it doesn't work out. We should be trying to actively help them. Because at the end of the day, we don't want the people who don't necessarily fully agree with these policies, or even people that did agree with them, but then once they face the consequences, don't anymore. We don't want them to be harmed by these people that are just so rampant or so rabid about implying or, sorry, implementing these defund the police policies. Quote, conservatives have long branded the city Exhibit A for how liberals and so-called woke policies have run amok. The Times piece read, well, yes. Quote, while many Portlanders roll their eyes at such tropes, polls conducted last year showed only 11% of voters throughout Portland said that it was headed in the right direction. A steep drop from 36% in 2020 and 72% in 2000. Maybe instead of rolling their eyes, they should consider how their worldview, almost entirely ascendant in seats of power in Portland, is leading to misery, not utopia. End quote. And while the author makes a good point, maybe they should reevaluate their positions on certain issues. Once again, you can see by the language in the first part of that quote, conservatives have long branded the city as exhibit A for how liberals and so-called woke policies, blah, 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 blah. It is now a point of pride to look at Portland and say, oh, look, their policies don't work. That's what happens when the liberal people, the woke people take over rather than saying, how can we help them? At the end of the day, like I said, if they want to implement these policies, they can implement this policy, these policies. That doesn't mean we shouldn't try to help them out of their terrible situation and help them realize that maybe they didn't make the right move. People make mistakes. People get caught up in riots, protests, ideologies that they feel are just in the moment. And then when they see the consequences, maybe they think differently. So maybe we should be a little bit more empathetic and actually take a step back and say, how can we help Portland? And maybe at the end of the day, they don't want our help. That's also a possibility. And maybe the people who really love this, empathetic, don't arrest people who are repeat offenders, don't really enforce the law, don't have a strong police force. Maybe those people like the way Portland is now. I can't speak for them. I don't live in Portland. And to be honest, I wouldn't really want to. And there's one last quote here that the author pulls out to really justify and hit his point home. Quote, as New York City discovered during the majority, sorry, the mayorality of Rudy Giuliani from 1994 to 2001, the broken windows policy in which low-level offenses are strongly policed to prevent larger crimes actually works. Will Portland's leaders get that message anytime soon? Probably not. Back in the day, Irving Kristol wrote that a neoconservative was a liberal mugged by reality. But in places like Portland, where the critical masses of liberals have been mugged, yet they choose to stay stridently attached to the ideology that led to the mugging, end quote. And... I do want to point out one thing. As much as conservatives would hate to admit it, these policies that Rudy Giuliani did put in place disproportionately affected minorities. Now, the question then becomes, is it because the New York police force was racist? Or was it because these policies were racist? Or was it because these minority populations were more likely to commit crimes? And even then, some people would argue, well, they're more likely to commit crimes because of the... Inequality in these cities, meaning they're more desperate, meaning they'll resort to committing more crimes. There's lots of factors that go into it here. But I think that we should possibly say to Portland, hey, maybe you should tighten down some of your policies and make sure that people that are doing small crimes stop doing small crimes so then they don't feel like they can get away with bigger crimes. I feel like that's a pretty solid logical chain. And maybe that's just because I have a pre-existing bias, but I, I feel like that's pretty solid. I feel like if a toddler gets away with stealing one piece of candy, he's going to eventually try to go for the extra two pieces of candy because he got away with it the first time. I, I'm just saying. Maybe I'm wrong about human nature, but that's what it feels like to me. At least that's what I would have done because I was one of those kids. Oh, yeah, steal a piece of candy off the counter for Mamo, 100%. Oh, you're going to give me two kisses? Well, I'll take three chocolate kisses. But, you know, enough about me. And you know how I was talking about empathy? That's really what the liberal side of the coin is. And this next article from Truthout talks about the more empathetic side of the story that we need to have towards a certain population. Quote, over 85 people incarcerated at Washington Penitentiary Center go on hunger strike. So, like I said, this article is on the flip side of the harsher policing in the jail system or just a harsher policing in general and more about the empathy that we need to have towards the situation of certain people quote over 85 people incarcerated at Northwest Detention Center in Tacoma Washington went on a five-day hunger strike to protest worsening living conditions according to advocates the strike started on February 1st when guards accused detainees of having contraband materials during an inspection when they det- Detainees across joints joined in protest, sorry, across units joined at protest, immigration and custom enforcement officers retaliated by tear gassing inmates in unit F four and using smoke bombs and pepper spray on others. Strikers demanded an end to this inhumane treatment, as well as access to better medical care and COVID nineteen preventative measures. Timely and warm food service, clean bedding and attire lower communications and commissary fee prices along with other basic necessities end quote so the question that i'll ask you here is if we arrest people and we send people to jail are we willing to have them face these sort of consequences people on the left would say this is why we can't or we shouldn't enforce laws so harshly because when they get into the jail system, it's a dehumanizing system that will cause them to come out and just be a more hardened criminal, or they'll come out and they won't be able to find a job, so they're not going to actually be dissuaded from doing more criminal activity. And like I said, not to mention that these places are just inhumane in general. I mean, this quote makes it sound like they're not getting warm food, clean bedding, They can't even pay to necessarily call their family members or lawyers on a phone. They're not getting the medical treatment they need. They're being tear gassed in their unit. So why would you want to increase policing on the streets? It's going to lead to more people facing these inhumane conditions. And I think at the end of the day, there is a point to this. If the system beyond the one that we're first sending people into, just the judicial system, is messed up, then maybe we should try to fix it. And, of course, I do not have the answers as how to fix the jail system. This has been a long, ongoing debate. But you can understand where people on the empathetic side of the aisle are saying, wait, 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 wait. You're telling me that we're going to be harsher with our policing policies and then send these criminals, or who aren't even hardened criminals, they're just doing small crimes... And we're going to send them to these places that are dehumanizing, where they fall in with criminals who may be a little bit more mischievous, who may be a little bit higher up, and then harden these small-time thugs a little bit more. That doesn't necessarily, or sorry, small-time thugs, these small-time criminals a little bit more, that doesn't sound like a winning recipe to me. And I can understand the liberal point of view. So that's just a question I had to pose to you or at least make you think about as we go through the rest of this article. Or the right would honestly say, if you commit a crime, you lose your right. Not Sorry, this is not fair to say that the entire right would say this. But there are personalities on the right that would say, if you commit a crime, you lose your right to live a civilized lifestyle. If you break the rules of our society, then why should you be treated with the same dignity as anybody else living in our society. And to be clear, living in a jail, in a communal jail, where you have to take showers with the entire group, where you're dictated what you can and can't do for a certain amount of time, where you can be thrown into solitary confinement, that seems to already be dehumanizing enough and far enough away from civil society. But there are some who would say that some of these practices are actually good for ensuring that people realize that life in civilized society is much better than these prisons, and therefore they should not commit criminal actions. I don't know if I 100% agree with that. I do believe that if you commit a crime, you're giving up some freedom. If you are committing a crime that takes away freedom from somebody else, then there has to be some sort of retribution there. And you have to be willing to accept the consequences of, hey, I violated somebody else's freedom. Now I'm going to understand what it's like to have freedom taken away from me. But does that mean it should be the most inhumane place ever where they're getting tear gassed, where they're not getting even warm food? I don't think that's appropriate. I think that is just outright inhumane. And there's one other aspect to this. There's one other question. Is it the private prison system that's the issue here? And there is a quote that I want to talk about. Quote, owned by the private prison corporation, GEO Group. NWDC is notorious for its mistreatment of inmates, lack of sanitation, medical neglect, and overuse of solitary confinement. According to a report by the University of Washington Center for Human Rights, the NWDC has weaponized solitary confinement against prison organizers and those facing mental health issues. According to ICE data, the facility also denies people longer on a, sorry, detains people longer on average in solitary confinement than any other dedicated ICE facility in the nation, and, end quote. And there's a little bit more to it, but we'll end it there. And we really got to take a, a deeper look or at least have an understanding of what they're saying here. This facility has the highest, on average, isolation, solitary confinement for their prisoners. Do you know how crippling solitary confinement is. To be clear, I have never faced it myself. But the reports of people who have faced it is it can be extremely draining. And as a person who understands that we are social beings by nature, being cut off from that is torture. Being left with your thoughts can be torture. And of course, the strongest among us probably could deal with it, but not everybody is that strong. And one of those people is Chad Faulkner, Quote, Chad Faulkner, an Australian national and suicide risk detainee, was forcibly held in solitary confinement at NWDC on January 29th. During a phone interview, Faulkner told PRISM that he asked his officer to let him take a shower and then was dragged to solitary confinement instead, injuring his limbs in the process. I told them I'm not supposed to be down here. I'm on a mental health observation, said Faulkner. According to Faulkner, the officer forcibly held him down despite Faulkner's pleas to call their supervisor. Faulkner said he was scratched, bruised, and had cuts all over his hands. End quote. And this, this does just seem unnecessarily cruel, in my opinion. And I do think that there would be a point to say that, well, if people could just claim mental illness, then... They, and they couldn't throw them in solitary confinement, then everybody would just claim mental illness. But if he's on suicide watch, and he's asking for them to call their supervisor to check this, then it's probably not that he's bluffing around. Because if he was bluffing, and he said, get the supervisor, they'll tell you, and the supervisor comes and said, no, 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 it's baloney, he's lying, then he's going to get put in solitary confinement for a longer amount of time. So this is what I think it's really cruel and inhumane, outright. This should not have happened. People who have mental illnesses do not do well in socially isolated situations, especially if it's an anxiety disorder, especially in that case. I know multiple people who have anxiety just being alone by themselves and being left with their own thoughts and You know, I never realized how bad it was until they sat down one day and really described what their mental process is like when they're alone. And it can be terrifying. And you don't necessarily want to stress these people out anymore because they come out of solitary confinement and then they may not be a nice prisoner. They may not be a well-put-together, mentally-stable prisoner. They may be worse off than they were when they went into solitary confinement. So you're not actually doing yourself any favors either. But that's not just... There's not just one instance, it's a pattern. Quote, this was not the first time detainees like Faulkner experienced abuse at the hands of NWDC authorities. On December 5th, 2022, Faulkner went on hunger strike to protest malnourishment, harassment, and having his belongings rummaged through without consent. Before him, on May 13th, 2022, 13 detainees also went on hunger strike to protest inhumane conditions at the facility. Similar to the recent hunger strike this month, strikers were both threatened with pepper spray before being placed in solitary confinement. Quote, this is nothing but a business for both GEO and ICE. They both profit and benefit from having people in detention. And they will do anything necessary not only to keep their business running, but also to keep this a secret prison, said La Resistance co-founder Maria Mora Valapondo. Sorry if I mispronounce your name, ma'am. They abuse people, and they don't want anybody to know, end quote. So with all of this information, maybe now you can really understand why people don't want to really enforce more arrest because they know that some of these people are going to go to facilities like this that are profiting off of the torture, eh, torture is a strong word, off the inhumane treatment of their prisoners. And, you know, these horror stories scare people. They may not even realize that they could be saying we want to lower these penalties because they may be caught doing a criminal action one day that could have them end up in one of these prisons. And maybe they also want to give, and this is me trying to see the best in people, but maybe they want to give people a chance to avoid these places and to not go in there and come out worse than they were, but rather give them a chance to step away from their criminal actions and do better in civilized society before we have to resort to sending them to prison. And, you know, like I said, that's me looking for the best in people, but I think that there are a lot of people who are very, really that empathetic and are really that understanding and want to ensure that the people that are not truly terrible, violent criminals don't get put away for small, menial crimes. But then again, the question is, are small menial crimes menial crimes meaningful and i think yes they are i think if you even do small crimes you're violating the social fabric and there should be consequences to that now is it community service rather than jail time probably but there should be some consequences so some would argue that defunding these places is a is a good option rather than defunding the police and disincentivizing them from doing their job why not defund these places But I don't necessarily see that as a solution. If there's no enforcement mechanism, there's really no way for people to stop violating the laws more often. It really comes down to whether you believe people... This argument, in my opinion, comes down to whether you believe people are good people or bad people. Conservatives believe, for the most part, that people are inherently bad. And not evil But people are flawed. They do bad things. They are tempted by maybe sin or just our base nature to do things that are not necessarily the best for us and the others around us. Whereas some liberals may believe that people are inherently good and that they deserve the benefit of the doubt. And I think that's really the key conversation, the value assumptions that both of these sides have that really define this argument. All right, so that's enough about the back and forth on crime. Let's jump to our story from News Atlas. So, startling new evidence suggests black holes drive expansion of the universe. So, black holes for a long time have been seen as the, basically the bottomless trash can of our universe. But the perception may be changing. Quote, a groundbreaking new study could finally provide an answer to one of the most perplexing astrophysics mysteries without needing to add anything new to our current models. Physicists suggest that black holes could contain a strange form of energy that's accelerating the expansion of the universe. And when I first heard that, I was intrigued. I, I was kind of, I was in. I was like, ooh, okay, what's going on here? Quote, the researchers compared the masses of these black holes in distance ellip- distant elliptical galaxies, which are seen as they were billions of years ago, to other closer galaxies to us in space and time. And sure enough, the supermassive black holes in modern elliptical galaxies were between 7 and 20 times more massive than they were 9 billion years ago. This indicates that supermassive black holes can gain mass through some other mechanism as well. And if they contain vacuum energy, they would both contribute to the expansion of the universe and gain of mass from the process as well in a phenomenon called cosmological coupling end quote so i know i ran through a lot there but basically this theory it runs counter to the previous wisdom you know the previous wisdom was that black holes they absorb matter and light and when there's no more dust and different types of matter that get absorbed they won't grow any larger and then with this, looking at the the data, saying, oh, well, no, these, these galaxies that are close to us, that with their elliptical black holes, they lost their matter that they're absorbing, but yet they're still getting bigger. They're still expanding. So what's behind this? Quote, astronomers have been looking for signs of dark energy ever since, based on the properties that it seems to have. And in a new study, an international team of scientists claims to have found evidence... For where dark energy might be hiding, inside black holes. Contrary to what we might think, a vacuum isn't totally empty. Random quantum fluctuations produce what's known as vacuum energy, which exerts an outward pressure that could work against gravity and drive the expansion of the universe. In some models, vacuum energy could be found in black holes. And in the new study, the team found the first observational evidence of this. End quote. And that observational evidence is what I mentioned before, which is these black holes are still expanding, even though they're not necessarily taking in new matter. So, I mean, you know, it's not 100%. We can't look inside a black hole and truly understand, but it is an interesting explanation, and at least we're moving forward in my opinion, which is a good thing. And, you know, honestly, from this point on, the article really just flew over my head. But it, it's really it's interesting to think about And it's really even more interesting the deeper we go. Quote, The team says that this first observational evidence that black holes contain vacuum energy. And when they crunched the numbers, they found that this could account for the amount of dark energy measured in the universe today. While there's been no shortage of other proposed sources of dark energy, the team says that this new model may be the neatest. That's because it doesn't require anything new to be added to our existing models. The gaps can be plugged by black holes as predicted by Einstein's gra- general theory of relativity. So, end quote. And I think that's that's beautiful. Now, you know, physics probably isn't that simple. We're definitely missing another piece of the puzzle. Even if it's not this exactly, there's always going to be something new that we're going to learn. But if it is this vacuum energy and that neatly ties that trick up of, why the universe is expanding and it really ties together uh, Einstein's general theory of relativity, then great, we can move on to something new. But either way, this is a great discovery that I think is going to inspire a lot of people to question more and maybe some kids to jump into the astrophysics or just be an astronomer, any of these fields, which we need desperately. We need more people to be in these sort of hard sciences and be pushing the boundaries of what we know. Alright, with that out of the way, let's jump to our daily delight. This one comes from Travel and Leisure. The world's only baby kangaroo sanctuary is in this small Australian town, and visitors can feed and cuddle the adorable animals. So anyone who stereotypes Australia will instantly think of kangaroos, and for good reason. They are one of the most populous animals in Australia quote, at the sanctuary, the joeys live in a well-isolated cots with their own pacifiers, bottle feeds four times a day, and adorable exercise sessions out in the yard where they learn to bounce. Kangaroos are very, very sociable creatures, so we raise them in pairs, end quote. And in order to provide these animals with the love and the attention and all the cuddles that they need, these sanctuary owners they bring in tourists from all over the world and this is to make sure that joey's build a bond like they would with their parents with the cuddles and the love and the attention quote the sanctuary has grown from one man's pipe dream into the most popular tourist destination in alice springs over the last 15 years with the biggest attraction being the opportunity to feed carry and care for the tiny red kangaroos alongside the towering former zookeeper end quote And if you want to see any of the cute photos or videos from this Daily Delight or read any of the articles that were mentioned today, you can find a link in the description below that like and subscribe button down there. You can also find links to the podcast on Spotify, Podvine, Google Podcasts, Pocket Cast. And you can download them there and listen to them on the road. And of course, the Twitter handle is down there as well. With all that said, there's only one more thing to say. Stay safe. Don't die.